I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning. Good afternoon. And welcome along to the Time Zone podcast, where we're all in different time zones. Um, so we're gonna. That'd be cute if we were in different time zones, but we're not. Yeah, next week maybe. But oh, we, yeah. I'm trying to do like a. I take half of a sentence and you take the other half, and it will be so yeah. seamless that people won't even realize we are in different different cities. cities. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. That's that is what's happening. Um. For the second time on the Cold Pops podcast, but. It'll. This is how. It's but not the first be. time ever in podcasting. No, no, we are. Um, we're recording in different cities. I am um, recording from my parents' house in the lovely, sunny Christchurch, New Zealand. And because I'm an adult, I am recording from a flat that I I pay rent at. Yep, I pay rent here. How much do you pay? Fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm living here. That's so that's that's so not only living with your parents but so Christchurch. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You get the real, the full experience. Yeah, if I for for context, those who don't know the living costs of the different cities, if I moved out of my parents' house, I would maybe have to pay a hundred dollars a week. So it's, it's not that much. Um, you know, it's pretty Christchurch is a lot cheaper to live in. Yeah, and, and whereas Auckland, a hundred dollars would get you like half of a shed. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. not even a very nice shed. But, you know, we would be able to afford all the rent in the world um, if we found a precious gem or jewel and yes, uh, just like sold how it on the black market. podcast is a hidden gem. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going for. Yeah. Well, um, what is this podcast, AJ? Do you want to explain this it is, for those this first is, time listeners? What this a is weird film- episode to join if you're... This yeah, who who who's looking through all the all the different franchises we've done and lands on um, romancing the stone and jewel of the Nile and goes, yes, yes, they did my favorite series. Um, so basically, this is a podcast where every fortnight Richard and I watch a different film franchise. Um, that that's sort of the podcast that's baked into the middle of the Cult Popshire podcast. Every second week, we talk about something else, but. This week, we have as a crust I just said, that you can eat around. Yeah, more. yeah, yeah, yeah. This week, as I said, we are talking about um, the Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile duology of of films, a, a, a series that felt like it was going to have more editions, but then they stopped it too, and no one really talks about them anymore. Hmm. Yeah, they're they're strange films, uh, mm. and so you. You spoiled the uh, title of them. And so you've got, yeah. in 1984, you've got Romancing the Stone, which was directed by Robert Zemeckis. And then a year, a mere 21 months later, 
You had uh, Jewel of the Nile in 1985. That was directed wow. by Lewis Teague. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you want to give us a quick synopsis on what these films are about? Sure. So I guess as an, as an overall um, summation of what you're getting with these movies, um, you'll recognize, you know, those like dollar, they cost a dollar. You go to the supermarket, you buy like a romance novel that costs like a buck, right? And they're always really cheesy and really sultry. Um, and they're always about some swashbuckling adventure where a woman and a man get together and it's always really unrealistically romantic. Basically, the main character in these films is a romance novelist who writes books like that. And in the first film, um, her sister is kidnapped or taken hostage by some treasure hunters because she has a map to a jewel. Um, And so the main character, whose name is Joan, she goes to Colombia to try and track down her sister with this treasure map to to barter, to like give the bad guys so they'll give her her sister back. Uh, But along the way, she meets a guy named Jack um, and they team up together and go on this whirlwind adventure that uh, reflects the very nature of the novels that Joan writes. So that's the first, the first one, and there's a there's a stone, there's a jewel, as I said, and that's yeah, the, the jewel of the Nile, the well, the stone that is romanced, <laughs> um, and they star uh, Kathleen Turner as Joan, uh, Michael Douglas as Jack, and Danny DeVito as Ralph, who's like yeah. a slimy little treasure hunter. Who Our second Kathleen ride. Turner franchise. I know, and goodness me, doesn't she look different now? (laughs) Um, Kathleen Turner, of course, played Frida Felcher in Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, where I recognised her in that film as that old actress with the smoker's voice who's, you know, relatively overweight and is always cast in kind of the comically sexual, but that's why it's funny roles. Uh, yeah. Whereas in in Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile, she is pretty smoking. Um, what? That's where she got the voice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably probably she probably she swapped them over. You know, she took her smoker's voice. Well, she took her smoking body and turned it into a smoker's voice. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was trying to get. She yeah. is. I, I do love Kathleen Turner though. At, mm. at every size. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, she's great. No, she's, no she's judgment great. from these boys. No, um, <laughs> I mean, not that. Like, yeah. Anyway, not that she needs our validation, you know. No. Uh, and then, so what is the Jewel of the Nile about? So the Jewel of the Nile is set uh, maybe a year or two after the conclusion of Romancing the Stone, roughly twenty one months, I would say. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, basically, uh, Joan is pretty overriding romance novels because she basically turned her adventure from romancing the stone into her greatest novel at the end of, of the first film. And now she's at this point in her life where she wants to get married, but she's also sick and tired of writing romance no- novels because they're so unrealistic. And she says in the film, you know, what happens when the sun comes up the next day? And es- essentially jewel of the Nile is the answer to that question. Um, and so, uh, Jack, who's real a real scallywag, doesn't want to um, marry her because he's you know that that's just the type of guy. Scallywag. He 
He's a scallywag. And so he, um, oh, she meets while they're in Italy, I think. She meets a um, dude from Africa, like a, I don't know, what, what type, like a prince or something. I don't know what he was. He was like a politician from from yeah, Africa yeah. who tells her that he wants her to come with him back to Africa where she can write his autobiography, or write his biography, essentially. And jumping at the chance to write something real that isn't fake, she goes with him, um, but soon learns that he's actually quite a tyrant in this this province that he he essentially rules over. Wakanda, and, I think it was. Yeah, Wakanda. And um, the the real, like, I'm not using the right terms here, but the real, like, heir to the throne or the real, um, I don't know, the real person who should be ruling over this nation uh, is referred to colloquially as the jewel of the Nile. And so she meets him and Jack soon finds out that she's in trouble. So he goes to help her out and it's them trying to escape the bad guys. Plus Danny DeVito's Ralph who shows up again um, uh, and get, return the jewel of the Nile to his rightful place in charge. And the jewel, the jewel as a character is a really like nice and friendly guy. So uh, that, you know, obviously you like him more than you like Omar, who's the villain. Yeah. So speaking of liking things more, one more than the other, uh, what mm-hmm. would you say was your favorite? Uh, that's an interesting question because I I had seen these movies when I was very young, and if you read online, it's you know the, to to no one's surprise, people don't like the sequel as much as the first film. However, this isn't one of those situations I feel where the first one is so much better than the second one and the second one is like oh it's it's a shadow of its of its former self um i thought the second one did all right to to bring in an a like organic way to continue the story along um it maybe wasn't as exciting or as grounded as the first one and it kind of does lose that pulpy romance novel vibe so the first one is more. The first one's an easier film to make because it's like let's bring the these romance novels to life. What would it look like if these romance novels actually happened? Whereas the second one goes off the rails a bit more. Um, yeah, and also just to amend from my uh, from my assumption from last last episode of Film Franchise Four Nights, Danny DeVito did not direct jewel of the nile i don't know why i thought that he did direct matilda though yeah and what was your other piece of um information you got incorrect oh i also thought michelle pfeiffer was the main lady in it mm-hmm. but she's not it's kathleen turner yeah so yeah so you how would you still say you preferred the first one though i think so I think yeah. just maybe maybe because it's a uh, Robert Zemeckis film. It's this was I think this was Zemeckis's first big film. It wasn't his first film, but it was his first like took the world by storm kind of film. And it came out. It was the film he made before Back to the Future, and so he did Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then the two Back to the Future sequels, all in like this stretch of time. And I can appreciate Romancing the Stone as kind of a precursor to those four other films. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, you can yeah. see his voice in it. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, it's got the there's the magic in the first one that the second one doesn't have, and a lot of that actually yeah, yeah. not only is um, Robert Zemeckis, but also Alan Silvestri's um, score is mm-hmm. just like not often. It's not often that I notice the score in a movie, but like because Back to the Future 
as an entirety is so like deeply ingrained in my in my mind and in my soul that hearing these elements of it of the score which like is so iconic in romancing the stone is you know it just gave it that little extra bit of magic and Mm. uh yeah it's it's there's just something about the first one that makes it slightly better than the second one i would say overall i didn't find these films very interesting or like yeah. <laughs> I, I, I quite often like to think about when I watch a film, think of like who's who would be who would have this as their favorite film. So like much like Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights, which was the third episode of this podcast, uh, these are the kind of movies that I'm like. The only way these would be your favorite is if these are like the only movies you've ever seen, or if like the first movies you ever saw. Like if someone. Mm. And, and they're, they're similar kind of movies that, like, if you grow up and hit maybe 8 to 12 around the time they came out and these were, like, the first kind of movie movies you saw, you would have – they'd have this, like, special place in your heart and you'd be like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'd watch them where I grew up and I loved them. They're, they're a little bit cheesy, but they're still – I still watch them yeah. once a year kind of thing. and. Yeah, to me, it's like that's not a really shining review for a film. No, they're like a less interesting version of Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what these movies are. And maybe that's why they were popular at the time is because they capitalized. Like Indiana Jones had just come out, like I think three years before Romancing the Stone. So people were wanting these these archaeological adventure <laughs> stories. Yeah, essentially. well... And it is interesting about the comparisons to um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we'll bring come back to that in a second. But uh, talking about uh, Robert Zemeckis, how there's like, uh, yeah, this was like his first big movie, but did the studio had like so little faith in it that they were like, as he was making it, they're like, you can't direct Cocoon. He was he was signed <laughs> on to direct Cocoon, and they fired him while he was making Romancing the Stone because they're like, wow. this is just going to be trash. And then it came out, and it was 20, 20th Century Fox's only hit that year and they wow, were like okay, okay fine you can do this other movie you keep going out about and that was back to the future that's awesome what a cool story like yeah. there is as I, as I sort of talked about before there is a, a legacy to romancing the stone that many would attribute to back to the future but i feel like it's romancing the stone like michael douglas sat, like echoes marty mcfly <laughs> as a character mm-hmm. and like there's certain things he says where i'm like i could hear michael j fox saying that line went the way he said it you know and think and 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 it's sort of it is there's nothing wrong with romancing the stone and i think in the same have, have you ever seen I, I, yeah i'd say the, that's the perfect review of it is just there's yeah. nothing wrong with it yeah have you ever seen um starship troopers no so starship troopers was sort of um quite infamous when it came out because if you watch, if you in, interpret Starship Troopers the way it's supposed to be interpreted, it's a parody of action films, of like action right, sci-fi yeah. films. Like it's intentionally cheesy, and and it's like a social commentary all wrapped up in that sort of thing. And the same way, I feel like you could you could see the producers of this film being like, "You're just making a shitty romance adventure film." And but like that is totally the point of like the the first film ends with Jack turning back up after they they go their separate ways with a boat on the sidewalk and she climbs up it and they kiss and it's like a happy ending and that's so cheesy and kind of unrealistic but it's like yeah, you yeah. can't make those movies anymore yeah the, yeah exactly and that's just what those romance novels were like so it's 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 paralleling all those all those things I guess yeah 
Um, yeah, I mean, it, is, it, it, it does just feel like an Indiana Jones clone. And for me, knowing what I know about, like, like having seen Michael Douglas's career, what I have seen of it, like, he seems like a weird choice for, like, an action hero. Funny you should say that. This was the first movie I ever remember seeing with Michael Douglas in it. I would have seen this movie when I was maybe 10, 10, 11, 12, and I didn't know who Michael Douglas was until I saw this movie. And so... In the back of my mind, whenever I see a Michael Douglas movie, I think of him as the guy from Romancing the Stone. Mm. <laughs> like so, so to me, he is the right choice. Like to me, there is this this. If I had seen this movie more times as a child, I think I would have a lot more to say about it. Yeah. But it's more like this distant memory I have of getting them out on videotape from from Video Easy. And my mum and dad being like, yeah, they're really cool movies. And even just um, when I when I moved back to Christchurch the other day, I told my mum that we were doing Romancing the Stone. And she was like, oh, we watched that the other day. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, clearly my parents still still have some kind of um, catharsis for it. And my dad actually said he really likes Jewel of the Nile. And he thinks that it's, it's a lot funnier and Danny DeVito's a lot cheesier in it. And mm. that's what he likes. Um, well, I mean... Uh, yeah, but like I guess it's to do with the fact that like his his role choices beyond Jewel of the Nile and Romancing the Stone haven't been at all like you know what what you'd expect like the career trajectory of like doing this kind of role in the mid eighties and then he's just like does Wall Street and mm. um yeah Basic Instinct no is it Basic Instinct yeah Basic Instinct what and, would you say if you um, were to describe Michael Douglas with one genre of film what would that genre of film be drama yeah yeah there was a great um, sexy drama yeah yeah there was a great uh cracked podcast that i listened to years ago um that was called like actors who do the same thing in every movie or something like that and it went into things like how tom hanks pees in like six of his different roles yeah. um and stuff like that and brad but it was eats yeah brad pitt always eats and it went into michael douglas at the start and i remember they said um Michael Douglas once starred in a in a period piece and it did really badly. And since then he's never been in a period piece. And that's a that was like an interesting take on Michael Douglas is we don't like to see him not in modern times. Mm. And I feel like Romancing the Stone is the closest he got to that. Because it's not it's not, not set in nineteen eighty four. I don't know if they Oh uh, no, that's, a, that's interesting you say that because yet. I part of what I liked about it is that it is explicitly set in like 1984 despite being about like all these things that you know could take place in like the 40s but there are these little bits and pieces that make it like explicitly the mid 80s okay like the glimpses you get of like the the you know new york or like the actual uh Mm. civilized the developed world kind of thing right i guess what i more mean is that that was when the movie was made so that's when it's set yeah it's it's set in modern times when it came out yeah um yeah um but another thing like uh i'd say gordon gecko is like like jack t colton could have easily become michael douglas's like signature role but like i'd yeah, say yeah. gordon gecko is and that's the one that kind of informed the rest of his career is that the one from wall street wall street yeah oh, yeah because yeah, even like enough. something like uh ant-man mm-hmm. you know like that that's another like michael douglas role that i like sort of think about when i when i 
hear the name Michael Douglas. Yeah, same. Hank yeah, Pym, exactly. Just because that's the the most sort of relevant to what I've watched and and ants, whatnot. Ants, ants. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is? What am yeah. I talking? I don't even ants, know what I'm talking about. Ants. It's from like a. Ants, what is it? What was that from? It's a trailer for Ant Man. That's um. <laughs> Just Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas like slapping their knees and going, ants, ants, ants. It's so weird. Man. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, that was great. But um, like we, we've talked about how this was a real early film for Zemeckis, and it's interesting that I'd, I'd love to know if this is how he continued to direct. But Kathleen Turner came out and kind of said she didn't really like working on uh, the first film because. She she called Zemeckis like a film school grad, and mm-hmm. that he was more concerned about trying to, like just framing the shots and and that side of everything rather than directing the actors. And so he'd be like, "Oh no, let's shoot it from this way," and she would get kind of pissed off because she was gonna she would have to change the way she acted, uh, and he wasn't really concerned about that, which is quite a, a very interesting sort of thing for a, quite a famous respected director to. Uh, like, you know, an insight into his process. So I'm, I'd be quite interested to see if that's how he still works. I mean, yeah, that like, it doesn't seem like it does because Back to the Future, the characterization in Back to the Future is so rich and so like it feels designed, you know. Mm. And maybe that's just how good the actors were. But to get all those actors doing having the same like stylistic voice makes me think there was a director on, and even even. Romancing the Stone somewhat, I would have said that was in there, but maybe mm. not. Maybe maybe he just maybe he's more attracted to actors who can do this part by themselves. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I but, don't know. but the the creative voices behind this film, uh, you got Robert Zemeckis. You've also got the uh, the writer of the film, and we've said how it's a very similar story to Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, but mm-hmm. it was actually written five years earlier than that by a woman called Diane Thomas. Uh, now she only has one screenplay credit to her name, mm-hmm. and can you guess what it is? Is it Romancing the Stone? It is Romancing the Stone. Uh, and what do you think happened? Did she die? Yeah, she did die. <laughs> uh, she was uh, working on a, on her second project. It was going to be with um, Steven Spielberg, but she was killed in a car accident. Uh, her boyfriend was driving a, a car that Michael Douglas bought for them. Wow. Because I know you love grizzly sort of behind yeah, the that, scenes. Yeah, that is interesting, especially because when did that happen? When did she die? Do you have that? Uh, no, I can find out though. I wonder if it happened between the sequels. Because then it's interesting. I guess if I was Michael Douglas, I'd feel not responsible, but I'd feel bad bad enough about it to not want to do a sequel a year after. <laughs> <laughs> no, she died after... Um... After Jill and I, wait, she okay. maybe she had more than one screenplay credit to her name. Oh, maybe no. that was a lie. Uh, you lying? Okay, she wasn't available to write um, Jill of the Nile because she was writing Always for Steven Spielberg. Um, but she, when she died, she was actually working on a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> well, I mean, that doesn't surprise me, right? Because that's that is kind of the it was going to be set in a haunted mansion. Oh, yeah. But Spielberg Maybe. was like, nah, it's too similar to Poltergeist. <laughs> the 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 Indiana Jones movies that were never made is such an interesting, like, rabbit hole to fall down. Mm. Because that's essentially what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is. It's like, 
one of the ones that was thankfully never made, <laughs> but then it was made. Yeah. Because you like there is there's of course plan. You know you can. I think the title was actually like Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men from Mars or something like that was <laughs> one of the pitched screenplays back in the day and that's just what king of the crystal skull became but yeah i would rather it be like if if indiana jones or the saucer men from mars was the fourth indiana jones film i would probably like it way more yeah 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 because it didn't hide it didn't bury the lead on aliens if you're gonna do aliens say it up front because aliens when it's a twist is never good i can't think of one instance where like a film turned out to be an alien film, but you didn't know it was going to be an alien film. Except for one, but I don't want to yeah, spoil gonna, it. Yeah, I was going to say there's a TV and show I can think It's of. in a TV show. Um, yeah. So and if you know what I'm talking about, we like know that I love that friends one. because we talked about how much we liked it. Yeah, but that, and, the, and um, again, I don't want to say the title of it, but it doesn't exactly bury the lead completely. Oh, like, I mean, it does, I'd say it does it about as much as. Um, uh and yeah uh, kingdom of the crystal skull because that has references to like roswell and stuff yeah, like yeah, that true. true true like i remember mm. before it came out people were talking about oh, apparently it's aliens it's like fuck off yeah yeah so, what did you think of did you think i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today the the actors did good in their roles or would you would you have cast someone else uh no i don't i think they're fine i don't, I don't really have anything to say about um the, I, I liked the performances I, I quite like danny devito he he kind of lends himself to being a slimy grease ball yeah do you, reckon, do you reckon it's in his contract that no matter what role he's playing he can only refer to women as broads yeah yeah something like that which is why frank from always sunny is like a perfect incarnation of his character there's because he is like this broads broads yeah Uh, maybe it's just that he's got that accent but i guess like he he really he he's very rarely playing a wholesome dude Mm. he's usually like even like because so he's the he directed matilda Mm. and he's in matilda where he plays Matilda's shitty dad. Am I right in saying that? I haven't seen Matilda in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so even when he's in control, he still casts himself as the bad guy. And I kind of admire that, that he can he understands that he's kind of a a questionable Seedy. character. So he, like, leans into it. Yeah. The only role I can think of where he plays a really nice character um, would be Hercules. And even then he's still cynical. Reluctant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in Big Fish, he's not too. Oh yeah, but, he's, but he's still kind of kind of seedy, carny. Well, he's a, he's a ringleader for a circus. Which, yeah. if that's your career path, how nice of a person can you ultimately yeah. be? Yeah, um, but by all accounts, he's an incredibly nice guy in real life. Like I just found out the oh, other sure, day because yeah. you know him and Rhea Perlman play the mm-hmm. um the parents and Matilda, and they're and they're married in real life. Yeah, but um. That uh, Myra Wilson, who played Matilda, her mum died during the filming, and oh so Danny and Rhea like took her in and and took care of her, and she oh like goodness. lived with them in real life while filming the movie. Wow, 
Imagine they still kept filming the movie, though, which <laughs> concerns me. I feel like the responsible thing would have been to put it. Maybe they did. I don't know. I shouldn't. I shouldn't judge Devito based on yeah. a story I've been told right now. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, like as with most films, there are a few casting choices. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, Sylvester Stallone turned down Jack T. Colton. Ugh, good. <laughs> that would have been great. Oh, you reckon? I reckon yeah, it would have been too. It'd be great. It'd have been great. <laughs> I reckon it'd been too beefcake. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he turned it down to do another film. I can't remember the name of which he later said he regretted, probably because the film was so unmemorable. Mm. <laughs> because I mean, I can't stop remember. or my mum will shoot. No, no, there was another film that he turned down to do that though. I remember reading, but yeah, um, yeah there was that, and then also uh, let me just double check her name. But someone else was considered for uh, the role of Joan. Was it? Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> no. so michael douglas was a producer on these films yeah. but he uh he originally offered the role of joan to deborah winger and then they met at a mexican restaurant to discuss it but according to douglas she ended up biting him and didn't get the part <laughs> yeah that'll do it eh? i hate it when that happens when you're trying to cast for like a short film you're making and you go and meet with your potential main actress and she bites you um we talk about titles all on this podcast do we I don't remember ever talking about titles. Oh, okay. Let's not mention the titles then. No, I can I could mention a title or two. Oh, I yeah? could mention two. Which title? Romancing the Jewel. Oh, damn it. And the Stone of the Jewel. The Stone of the Jewel. The Jewel of the Stone. Um, I quite like both of these titles. I, I like it when a sequel isn't obviously a sequel to something by its title. You know what I mean? Where it doesn't, mm. it's not Romancing the Stone 2, so it requires... It's not Jewel of the Nile, colon, Romancing the Stone 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jewel Breaks the Internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I quite like them. Jewel like, Invents the Internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of them, both of these titles are like stolen straight from these romance novel kind of titles. Yeah, as well, they are like, they're like. very like pulpy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and which, I, I, which I dig. Yeah, yeah, I dig it too. And I like that um I like that in Romancing the Stone there's kind of a vague title bomb where Danny oh, yeah, DeVito, I want to talk to you about this. Yeah, yeah. He he accuses it, when he he like has a gun pointed at at Jack and Joan and he's like, "You know, he's just trying to romance the stone out from under you." And I was like, "What a cool way to think of the title now." Like yeah, well, that's that's like, what the movie's yeah, about is him trying to shift slowly shift this artifact out from under her by romancing her. Yeah, it was a bit more. I don't think it was exactly that. It was slightly more like hidden, even. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it was like it's the stone. He's romancing it or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think. He I think said, I don't think he says romancing. I think he says romance. Yeah, he's trying to. So, yeah, this he's trying to. The stone. He's trying to romance it from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Oh, I'm the creep, huh? Well, at least I'm honest. I'm stealing this stone. I'm not trying to romance it out from under her. Yeah. Um, and so I quite like that, that this is what romancing a stone looks like, and that's why it's called that. Yeah. Um, and I like... Ro- I think so Ju- romancing the stone is, um, it's like jeweler jargon for um, a part of the process of preparing a diamond to cut it. Really? Okay, so it's got a double meaning to it. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, like crafting the 
the stone, romancing the stone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like Jewel of the Nile as a sequel title, but I didn't like that the guy was literally referred to as the Jewel of the Nile. Like it, it was less. It was less like a turn of phrase for the sequel, and more the actual thing they were. They were the actual MacGuffin of the film. Like if they just called him the Jewel, and it was set around the Nile as it was. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would have liked that better. Right. Yeah, because it's it's one of those ones like Jurassic Park where it's like not a title bomb because they just say it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's um, no impact to the title being said in the film. Which, yeah. as we know, is the best thing a movie can do. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of like out of things to say almost about the film. That's okay. Because can... they're just they're so middle of the road. Yeah, I hope people who are listening to this who are like, man, the fact that they're in different cities has really like distilled the energy of the podcast. It's not that You're right. we can hear each other in real time. Fine. It's that we there's nothing really funny to, to say about these movies. So we're just sort of reviewing them as we would humorlessly, I guess. Um, they, they are hard movies to review, especially I think, I think they're hard movies to review because everything that they do well, another movie has since done it better or did it better before it. So, like, as I said before, they're essentially, like, a not-as-good Indiana Jones. Mm. And, that's and the all score is. is, like, while amazing is a not-as-good Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> even, like, the Jewel of the Nile has, like, a not-as-good um, Bond song at the start. Yeah. Jewel of the Nile. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very, and um, then, um, it's yeah. very the power of love. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then at the end of the film as well, you have a... Uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going by <laughs> Which just Ashton. feels... I didn't like that. I was like, this is a strange song choice to, to close out the series on. That, the song was written for the movie. No no way! You're kidding me! <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? That, why? Because well, like, the, all throughout the film, there are people like, well, when the going gets tough, the tough... Oh my I goodness. Don't know. Uh, they go to Greece. Um, and <laughs> then, yeah, so then at the end of the song, it all pays off with like, when the going gets tough. The tough, the tough gets. Go. It just reminded me of Full House. Like <laughs> I got something to tell you. I just got yeah. I got flashbacks of like oh. Anyway, mm. but um yeah. I was reading though. Apparently the um they yes. I was written for the film and the music video of the song has Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito. They like lip sync and dances. Uh, backup singers. And because they're not part of the members, the musicians' union, the video was banned in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it still became Billy Ocean's first number one hit. Oh, but wow. <laughs> that's such a dumb rule. Imagine Billy Ocean, you know, he's, he's relatively famous now, but at the time he was like, yeah, I got my big break from the sequel to Romancing the Stone. <laughs> Would you say Billy Ocean is relatively famous now? I don't know. I guess Can you I name reckon, another reckon, one of his songs? I actually can't. Has he done any others? <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got another real big one. Um, Get out of my dreams. That's it. That's and the one. into my car. There you go. Uh, we did it. Yeah, we did it. Read it. <laughs> we found the Boston bomber. <laughs> uh, we yeah, found the I Boston mean, bomber of Billy Ocean songs. <laughs> this is such a bomb Billy Ocean song. Uh, so, continue the franchise. There's a segment mm. we do where we uh, each pitch 
our own continuation of the franchise. There was another sequel titled The Crimson Eagle, uh, which was mm. planned, where Jack and Joan would take their teen kids to Thailand. Uh, it stayed in development hell until 1997, where Michael Douglas, who, was, who again was a producer on it, said he was over it and didn't want to do it again. Like he's just okay. like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in doing these films. It is a weird thing to say about a couple of movies, but they do, because of the way they're designed, they do feel like you could have made a few more of them, whether they would have been good or not. But, like, it's not like something like analyse this and analyse that. What would you even call the next one? Analyse these. (laughs) Analyse these, and it's about their kids. I I know so little about (laughs) analyse this and that. But, yeah, like, maybe it's And then analyse them. Yeah, yeah, analyze analyze those. Um, <laughs> analyze <I> think, those! <laughs> I think maybe because the very nature of these romance novels that they're parodying is that there's like, A they churn out one every six months. And so like oh, these that, authors are real prolific. Slowing down. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Probably one every three months, to be honest. Uh, every three weeks. Mm. These things, that's going to come out. There's billions of them, man. But yeah, so it does. It does feel like there should be more than there are. But yeah, yeah. Well, um, how would you continue? Actually, I'll go first because I, I have. I don't have much. Uh, okay. So I mean, I don't yeah. have much, but I know I love you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would go. Is that your title? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called. I don't know much, but I know I love you, and it stars <laughs> uh, Linda Ronstadt and Harvey Neville. And it's just that song. Oh yeah, you're just you'll continue the franchise as you're recording that, that song. You're <laughs> yeah. taking and saying this is a lot of people don't know this, but this song's actually a sequel to <laughs> Jewel of the Nile. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like I struggled. I wanted to come up with like a cool name because they both kind of have cool names, but I couldn't think of anything. But I mean, mm-hmm. I guess yeah, that like. This film is open to either like a reboot or a distant sequel. Like it could do either one pretty easily, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> so I could do the franchise with fucking dear one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got one that's good enough for for both of us. If you okay. don't have one, yeah. Do you do you actually have one or is no? Not really. I just couldn't think of a cool title. Yeah, yeah. So the way I thought of it, I I kind of went the distant sequel approach with it um well first of all when i usually think of continue the franchise doing a sequel is usually just too boring for me so i thought of like romancing the stone the animated series and then i was like you know what i never do straight sequels so i should just do a straight sequel yeah yeah thanks for that what a good joke Um, we're back, baby, and you can't even tell they're in different cities. Um, the, <laughs> so I thought of, I thought of, um, here's, here's what I like, came up with. homophobic. No, that's fine. I didn't even bring up that. <laughs> I didn't even bring up the fact that you're homophobic. Um, uh, so basically. Wasn't homophobic, was it? No. Okay. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm not really a person who can talk on that subject. Do we want to do what I want to do now, or do we want to take, yeah, keep talking no, about your fine. your rampant homophobia, Richard? It's becoming a problem. Um, so a lot of the ways these adventure stories, I kind of took took leaf from Uncharted's book, um, and you've got the first one that's set in a jungle, the second one's set in a desert, 
So where would you set a third one? And I thought Tibet, like the snow, right? Yeah. <laughs> and do, do like a snowy, a snowy adventure. But because um, one of our OG rules for continuing the franchise is that the movie has to come out now, um, we couldn't just be like, it's set in the snow and it was made in 1989. We've got to actually, we, we have to take like, time into account. Your, um, your continuing the franchise is this film that was filmed in 1989 and lost until now and it just comes out today. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and you've also faced the problem that I don't think producers would cast Kathleen Turner in a oh main role anymore. <laughs> Especially not like, this is, this is real sad, but, I, I haven't seen Kathleen Turner being taken seriously in a role. She's always kind of like the butt of a joke now, especially well, in Dumb yeah, and Dumb played, 2. And, and Friends, she played um, Chandler's dad. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah, she definitely couldn't be the, 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 hero, the hero of it. So what I thought was um, at some point between the end of the end of the second film and this one, uh, Jack and Joan, they had a couple of kids – and then Jack went off to find some artifact in Tibet, whatever it is. You can call it whatever you want. Um, the and, snowy McNugget. Yeah. And um, Joan, and he was never seen again, essentially. And Joan wrote about this in a novel, and like her last novel, before she then as well went to look for them. I thought one of the artifact could maybe be like two jade monkeys. So it's like a metaphor for the two couple, the couple that went missing, right. uh, one after each other. Um, and years later, uh, her daughter who, uh, well, their daughter, who maybe also writes romance novels but also maybe hates romance novels or maybe writes a different genre. Writes BuzzFeed articles. Yeah, something, or maybe, yeah, like a, a modern, maybe she writes... Um, she writes for babe.net. Yeah, yeah, she, or, she, or she, she, I thought maybe she writes um, erotica, little erotica for like... Like she went on Craigslist and someone's like, I'll pay someone $50 a month to write four erotica stories um, for my website. Maybe something like that. <laughs> anyway, for whatever reason, she's pulled in to go and search for the Jade Monkeys slash her parents. There's a lot of work. I, I want you to help me craft the story, Richard. All right. um, so she goes uh, searching for the Snowy McNugget. Yeah, okay. And... Um, and she just just in, in in spirit of keeping it within that romance movie or that romance novel aesthetic she meets a guy there who they fall in love along the way maybe i thought maybe he's a sci-fi writer maybe there's aliens in it and we bury the oh, lead because shit. he's da, da, da. um that's that's basically all i've got however i do have a title for your consideration oh yes uh i thought we could call it i was trying to think i was like smolder uh, snow, ice, the smoldering ice, like what's a neat little like juxtaposition I can put an oxymoron I can put in but the one I landed on was in the heat of the winter because that feels like a romance novel name and there is no heat in winter, so obviously the heat is referring to Yeah. Their love and not yeah. the I don't know if like that exact wording. Yeah, like the heat of winter or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um and yeah, so that's basically all I've got. And I, I liked the idea of it bringing in an author who writes a different type of trash, a different type of trash genre novel that then also is imparted into the story. So maybe he's a fantasy writer and there's fantasy elements in it or whatever. I do I do love the idea of um, basically romancing the stone, but with a sci-fi writer. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because sci-fi is the is is very much in the same um, zone. As yeah, that like you get those thing, like you know pulp I mean? novels that they you know you pick up for like fifty cents from a bookstore, and they're like mm. not not much thought was put into them. But you get these kind of things, and then this guy actually gets whisked whisked away on a sci-fi adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or totally, this, man. This girl, yeah. That's cool. I like, like that. Yeah, and it's called Romancing the Space. Ah, you've done it. <laughs> and then the sequel's called The Jewel of Mars. The Jewel of the Space. The Jupiter of the Nile. Wow, dude. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, I like the, the Heat of Winter. The yeah. Heat of Winter. Yeah, that's that's probably your best title, like the title you've come up with that I've liked the most. Oh, thanks, man. It's because it's supposed to be bad. <laughs> it's, because, it's because I'm, and I'm trying like, you finally to make did it, it AJ. You did what you set like, out to do. Like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't name a movie I was taking seriously. The Heat of Winter. I'm like, <laughs> that's all right. I kind of like it. I kind of yeah. like it just because, just because of how it doesn't make sense. So, what but does the heat mean? And, the, and, the, the, originally, I was trying to think of some some way to work crystal into the title because all the the first two films have like, refer to the a stone yeah, of some actually. kind. But I mean, the jewel of the Nile is a person, and then I was like, "Screw it! It's more yeah. important to be to be true to the romance novel style." Then, yeah, but then you could do like a, um, yeah, like a, the the jade something. Hmm. The problem is, is that when you're dealing with words that have something to do with Tibet and like snowy mountains. The only cool words you've got are like ice and winter. Oh, you got tundra. Tundra, yeah. The jade tundra. Oh. Because you couldn't do snow. I feel it. Snow is such a lame word to try and make sound exciting. Mm. Name me one good movie that has the word snow in it. Snow dogs. You got me. All right, that's (laughs) it. That's all I had. (laughs) Snow buddies. Ah, Snow Buddies Two: The Search for Santa Paws. <laughs> Snow Go: The Level in Crash Bandicoot Two. Ah, yes, you're right. All right, you've proved me wrong. All right. Um, do you want to bloody do some uh, French drugs? Related? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is the point where the show where um. We hit, a, we hit a rut, and so we're like, let's just <laughs> pull the plug, pull the plug, quickly. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to roll a number, and then that number's going to correspond to a cheeky little number on our franchise list, and that'll be the next franchise we cover. Uh, and we also have a guest star joining us next week, probably. Yeah. First guest star of 2018, so won't tell you who it is, but stay tuned for or that who business. Who is. Oh, shit. What, because it could be... More than one person? Yeah. That is more than one person. Is it? I believe so. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. All right. No, that's cool. (laughs) Richard, you didn't tell me about this. You said it was one person. No, that's cool. Cool, cool. We'll need to sort out our Zencaster so that we can meet with more than one person. (laughs) Yeah. In one chat. Yeah, we can probably talk about this stuff off pod. Why? No, I think that this is the most interesting part of this episode so far, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know that on our franchise list, so number 28, 
Number 28 is Lord of the Rings. Number 29 is Stuart Little. And number 30 is The Hobbit. (laughs) Whoever wrote these, at some point, they thought of Stuart Little in between Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Whichever one of us wrote this. Uh, I'll just delete Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile from the list. Oh, nice. All right, give me a number, baby. A number, baby. All right, I'm pushing. Get it? Yep. I, I get, it. get it. How many are on there? Um, there are... Um, 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 this is our guest franchise list, so we have 276 on here. One hundred and seventy-six. One hundred and seventy-six is the Nutty Professor, um, of which there is an original, a remake, a sequel to the remake, and an animated reboot. <laughs> oh my God. So f- four films in total. We're doing the Nutty Professor series next week, and I'll delete Revenge of the Nerds, which is directly above that one. Um, <laughs> uh, okay that's it that's um that's it we didn't read out uh, any fan mail this week um it's been a bit hectic uh to compile it all but we'll do that uh the next film franchise four nights i guess um but if you also liked this podcast then please subscribe to our youtube channel subscribe to us on itunes um help me get rid of the fly that's buzzing seemingly only around my microphone um you can also like us on facebook follow us on twitter and uh, um, pledge your allegiance to us on Instagram. What do you do on Instagram? Do you yeah, follow on Instagram? No. Yeah, yeah, it's pledge allegiance to. Okay, cool. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening. Yeah, hope this sounded all right. Yeah. And if it didn't, we can just cut me saying that out. <laughs> or only leave that in. It's, <laughs> it's a four-second long episode. All right. Bye. All right, thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,